This is Charlie Edinburgh and welcome to the Orient Hour. Good evening, everybody. I'm Andy Gilson in the Phoenix FM studio. Welcome to the Orient Hour. We're joined by a host of people in the studio tonight. Barry Galvin's here. Good evening, Barry. Evening, Andy. How are you going, mate? Yeah, I'm all right. Can you hear me? Okay. Levels okay out there in listening land, hopefully. Well, hopefully they are. Uh, Jack Burrows. Jack Burrows, I'm saying I've got Darren Burrows, I should say. Darren Burrows. Sorry. How good are evening, you? Andy. Yeah, I'm good, my friend. I'm good. Despite Tuesday night, I'm okay, mate. I'm and Jack's all right. He's indoors, isn't Jack's he? Jack's indoors listening. Oh, good for him. Charlie's here. Charlie Edinburgh. Good evening, Charlie. Evening, Andy. How are you doing? You all all right? I'm all right, my friend. Good and uh, I'll get the Jack right now. It's Jack Pridmore. How are you, Jack? Evening, mate. How are you doing? Very well. And uh, we've got lots to talk about and get through tonight. So let's just uh, kick off Barry. It's a week I've billed as uh, the good, the bad and the ugly. The good, let's go there first, shall we? Uh, Grimsby. 4 nil. It yeah. was a, a pretty... Good yeah, it was a fantastic result. I don't think anybody... Uh, well, obviously, I'm speaking for myself here. I don't think I expected that result, obviously, with um, Connor getting sent off and uh, and Lee being out already. So both of our main strikers out of the picture. I mean, despite the fact that Matt Harold has, has done well in recent weeks, I personally was thinking, yep, we're OK uh, at the moment, but where are we going to find the goals to, to play, you know, to, to score away at Grimsby? And, and four goals. I mean, the way they were taken as well. Dan Happy, fantastic finish. And Josh, Josh even, even better, I thought, was Josh's one. And James getting his goal, of course. And I think everybody, regardless of your opinion of James Alabi, will be absolutely delighted that he scored that goal. He was fantastic. He really deserves it. And then uh, right at the end, Josh getting his customary goal for a great victory. And uh, yeah, I think it was... I, I didn't see it coming. I must admit, I thought we'd get a point there. And it was, it was, a, it was a well-deserved three points in the end, I think. So you did stick any money on 4 nil then? No, I uh, didn't actually. No, 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 no. useless. No. That it, Andy, in the sweep, surprisingly, that Kerrin organises. So uh, Linda always robs me of a pound, and I, I went, I went one nil Grimsby. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you. Now you, you saw the match uh, now, and uh, quality goals from Orient, weren't they? Oh, absolutely. I mean, talk about Big James. The, the time he had almost kind of works against you, I think, sometimes, when you've got that amount of time on the ball and he was running and running. And he, he finished it, he waited for the keeper to cut down and just pops it. So, yeah, um, I, th I thought the penalty he got was, oh, well... Soft. Mm, yeah, yeah. Another question of another big lad going over, which we'll talk about later, I don't like seeing all that. But it, it wouldn't make a lot of difference to the outcome of the game, did it? So, in that respect. But right put it away, I thought, quite well. Fair play to him, you know, stepping up. We, I think we missed our last two before. Yeah, so, I, I, feel, I, 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 think it, I think it was the right lad to take it. Yeah, 
I think, um, well, Josh has, has risen this season. I think he's, he's come in and he's done amazingly well. Um, and I think, yeah, maybe one springs to mind, Jordan Maguire, Drew might have missed the penalty. Um, I can't remember the other, but... Joshua's obviously taken the responsibility on his shoulders and and he's dispatched it and I think you know he, he's grabbed it by the scruff of the neck and and, and put it away and um, I'm sure he'll, he'll be licking his lips when the next one comes around and, and hoping to put that away as well. Yeah, well, I mean, you you know Josh obviously personally uh, quite well and in his first spell at Orient, he, I think it's fair to say he didn't really shine as as we would have expected. He wasn't in a struggling side, though, to be fair. And he's, he's come to Orient on a pack of quite a lot of uh, public criticism from the Bradford fans, if you like. So do you think he's had a lot to prove? Um, listen, I, I don't think um, he, he's got to prove anything to anybody. At the end of the day, he's, he's played the amount of games uh, in the Football League that he's done um, because he's earned the right to do so. And listen, everybody's entitled to their opinion and I think there's going to be plenty of those in here tonight. But... Listen, yeah, he, he did come to, to Orient for his second spell off the back of, you know, some some harsh comments, I would say, from from Bradford fans. And there was change of managers during the season when he when he was at Bradford and maybe didn't get his chance under Hopkins and um, was maybe ushered out a little bit. So, listen, fans don't always get the inside scoop with, with what's going on with certain things at a football club. And um, listen, he's put that, put that behind him. He's come to Orient this season. And I think, you know... I'm going to be biased. I think he's been one of our standout players so far this season. For us so far this season. I think he's been outstanding. I agree yeah. with that as well. Yeah. He's one of those players, Jack, that uh, can pick a pass, can't he? He can change a game with uh, one through ball. Yeah, I think he's, he's just such a good example of a player being in the right place at the right time. Josh is. I think this spell for him, he's obviously enjoying himself, being his local club, club he's wanted to play for for a while or to have the spell that he's having right now. And I think he's just. I think he shows us why we should be writing certain players off, or maybe judging how players did last season, or a previous spell, or a loan spell, or their other clubs, you know, or even the new manager, things like this. I think it's. Um, he's just a really good example of someone who's enjoying themselves, being at the right time, being in the right place, good environment. You got to think as well, completely different squad to what he played with before. So you think if you're at one job and all of your staff members at that job changes, it's going to be a completely different environment. So I think that makes a big difference too. He just seems really happy, but yeah, I'd go for that. I think he's he's right out there for us this season. Yeah, he's certainly done a good job, and the quality of the goals, uh, Charlie, yeah. were, were really top notch, weren't they? They they were. I mean, um, the, the 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 finishes from the, the two centre halves. I mean, uh, Josh Coulson's was a, a, a striker esque finish. You know, the way he, he composed himself and took that. And again, I, I'm absolutely delighted for James Alarby. I really, really am because. As we've already said, whether you love him or you, you maybe not so much of a fan, I think you know the way he's applied himself um, since he's been at the football club. It, his, his chances have maybe not been there in terms of getting the opportunity, but he was desperate for a goal. I mean, he, he scored a, a really vital goal last season at Halifax away, I recall, on the on the obviously road to, to winning the league, and that was a really crucial turning point in the season. And um, yeah, the way he, uh, he took his goal um, at the weekend, or yeah, the weekend was was fantastic finish from James. So, Darren, how did you rate the um, overall performances of, of players on uh, Saturday? Uh, there wasn't a man in a match because everyone, 1-11 to 11 on Saturday, was superb. It was really, really difficult to pick a man in a match. And, and I couldn't criticise a single performance. Everyone done their jobs. Defensively, we were excellent. Forward scoring, you always want to see a forward scoring, James. And then two goals from centre-halves. 
it's, it's just the perfect performance. It was, it was a perfect day out. And the fish and chips in Cleefold are <laughs> so good. So it's is, a great I, away day. I think the thing is there, Darren, that the, the good news was that um, there were two changes. Ekpateta came back in and, and yeah. James Dayton was uh, playing. Dayton had another great, you know, good game, and the balance of the team, I personally think, is better when James does start. Um, I also thought that the key substitutions that, that Ross was making at the right times again, you know, mm. w w was good. And in Cravettis Grimsby did have some some chances. They did have some chances, but you know what? Our defence nullified them so well, and even when they did have chances, they turned what should have been really good chances into half chances yeah. by closing their man damn well. And and that they didn't do that against us, Grimsby, and they paid a heavy price. Uh, I think the, the, the nicest thing was when we went 3-0 up and the place just emptied. Yeah. yeah. As an away fan, that's just great. That's just, you know. Yeah. The we can see you sneaking out. The, the we can see you sneaking out did, did get... Uh, Echoed round. Yeah, I think as well, just on that point as well, um, it's nice for a clean sheet. And... Going back again to, to last season, we were our team down. We didn't concede many goals. I mean, Dean Brill kept, what, 20-plus clean sheets last season in all competitions. And to be honest, look, it's been a difficult summer. The boys maybe came back, leaked a few goals at the start of the season, but brilliant to see a clean sheet well, away from home against a team right up and, ar and around the playoffs at that point. Well, you know, is, Charlie, I was going to touch on that, Dean Brill, because he, he's been under a lot of criticism on the message board in particular on, on social media, and yet he pulled off some good saves, as you said. Darren. Yeah, he, did, he pulled chances. off two really good saves. But can I say about those saves as well? What was really good about them was his positioning. So he ended up making them look actually quite routine because he took the right position up. And, and that's what, what good goalkeepers do, surely. You know, so, so, yeah, Dean had another great game because there were, they would say, Grimsby did have chances. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think um, Dean... It, players are always going to come under criticism. It's, it's, that's the game and everyone's entitled to their opinion. But I think, you know, um, I've, I've seen Dean play on a number of occasions and he's won us games at certain points. And at times... Keepers are, players are, they're, they're going to have a little uh, little dip in form. But listen, Dean's a big enough man. He's experienced enough to step up to the plate. And um, look, I, I don't think we could really ask for a better man between the sticks who is passionate about Orin and, and the football club, you know? Yeah. I'm just going to ask... Um Barry to uh, speak for a little bit while the lads just move the chairs around because I'm just going to switch mics with uh, with Jack there. If he can jump on, uh, share a chair with... Uh, or share the mic with... Uh, Darren, there, your your mic's working perfectly. Um, it's just that that mic was a little bit. Oh, just a point on echoing. on Dean. If you want me to to interject, Andy, for a second, just a point on Dean Brew is that when I introduced the teams onto the pitch on a, on a home game on a Saturday, as they come out and walk past us and they walk through the guards of honour, etc., he's the one. He is the one, and I see it close range. Obviously, is the one who's going, come on, come on, and getting all the lads together. He's the one who's getting them up, who's getting them, who's getting them fired up, etc. So, yeah, I think he's an important part of psychologically of the team, as well as his physical presence as well. Yeah, good point, good point. So, it was a 4-0 win, and it was a, a great uh, farewell for Ross Embleton, Jack, really, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's done uh, I think he's done such a good job in such unique circumstances as well. So I think he deserved that. I think everyone was... I think everyone wanted something like that for him, but it, it was the ideal one. I don't think he could have signed off any better. But I think the way that he's... Especially the last four or five weeks, the way it's moved to being a lot more consistent as well, I think it's a real credit to him and a credit to the fact that the players are stepping up to the division, stepping up to playing around each other, you know, new additions and so on. But I think it's been a 
hell of a start for him and uh, he signed off perfectly. I mean, the thing is, I mean, Charlie, you know this, I mean, obviously, when your dad left us, it, Ross was the right choice in, the, in that he was going to be the person who was going to prepare the side anyway, wasn't he? Well, I don't think um, it, it would have been impossible for anybody to come in during them them times. And, you know, Ross, Danny, Joby, the, the, the collective team, what they've done, um, they've carried that momentum on from... Listen, they've worked side by side with Dad for 18 months. They've yeah. got to learn his, his ways and how he would have done certain sessions and whatnot. And I remember not too long after uh, dad passed away actually me and my mum went to the stadium and we had a meeting with uh, Martin and with Ross and they was obviously making us aware that Ross was going to be the interim head coach we was obviously delighted we wouldn't have wanted anybody else to sort of step up to the plate but I remember Ross said I don't I don't want to be doing this obviously mm. he didn't want to be doing it no. and he doesn't see himself as a football manager and um, I think you know he, he, he stepped up to the plate in the most tragic of times and he's delivered he, he, he's got stability amongst the group um he's not sort of changed anything too dramatically he, he's not gone in and started making drastic changes and upsetting the apple cart in any way he's, he's really gone in there and um he'd probably be a little bit gutted i think walking away from it off the back of three wins that should i have maybe given it a little bit longer and seen because yeah. I think when he made the decision, there was maybe a, a point where, you know, we were on a bit of a rocky patch. Um, but listen, what, what he's, uh, he's passing the baton on to Carl now and um, from myself, my family and, and all Orient fans, I'm sure, you know, we're, we're right behind Carl and we, we wish him the, the very best. And otherwise, the hard work that, that Dad, Ross and everybody's done will be undone and um, we want to make sure that that momentum carries on, you know. Yeah, I mean, with with Ross, I, I just felt that he showed a bit more faith in himself, as as in he could do it. But I suppose the difficult thing is if you don't really want to do it. That's that's the question, isn't it, Darren? If, if it's something you don't really want, then it's going always going to be an uphill battle, isn't it? I think it takes a bigger man to sometimes look at yourself in the mirror and say, "Am, am I right for this right now?" And and I think Ross should get as a person the utmost credit for that to say to himself, "I'm not quite ready yet." Well, and, it's and a different job, he, isn't it? It's a different job. But to echo what Charlie said, he stepped up in the most tragic and difficult circumstances. And every interview he did, I listened to. I didn't, he didn't do a single one I didn't listen to. And what got me is I thought he was actually getting better. That was the thing. His words were very well carefully chosen. They were the right words. So for, for me, Ross is going to be somebody that I think we're not going to stop singing his name as well now. Yeah. Well, I think it's somebody, perhaps, uh, Barry, that, you know, in a few years' time, he might want to reconsider about going back into management. Well, when we, when we did the uh, Meet the Newcomers evening last Wednesday, which um, Martin Ling, Steve Foster and the, and the new players were there, we covered quite a few subjects and um, Ross obviously was, was discussed and, you know, everyone had the utmost respect for what he'd done. And he's genuinely, I know he's our, you know, we're Orient fans, but he's genuinely a nice guy, isn't he? Yeah. You know, so he's just, he's just a nice guy. Well, Martin said that, Ross said to him, he, if, if he was offered a big manager's post at another club, he wouldn't take it. If he was offered a, as a post as a number two, he would. He sees himself as a number two. Not that you take the poster, but that, you know, he sees himself in that role and not a manager's role. So regardless of the fact that he was growing in confidence and he was getting some more results, I think, and I mean that may change, people grow and develop, but he sees himself as an assistant coach 
rather than the manager, I think, as Charlie said in the first place. And I think we've all just said it. What a great job he done. And, um, <clears throat> and fair play to him. He's come out with a lot of credit and I think everyone respects him. Oh, he has done indeed. But they are, they are, Jack. They're, they're really two very different jobs, aren't they? I mean, I've, I've, before your time, obviously, but old farts like me, we remember Arsenal winning the double with the Bertie Mee and Don Howe. Now, Don Howe, a great, great coach, never a manager in a million years. Bertie Mee wouldn't know the first thing about training procedures and, and tactics, really, but he was a man manager. And between the two of them, you know, they were extremely successful over a number of seasons for, for Arsenal Football Club. So they are two different jobs. You've, you've had a go at them, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, um, they, are, they are completely different. I mean, the, what I've done before coaching and uh, say the Ryman League and so on, it's completely different, different examples, different things needed. Um, but no, it's, it is a completely different job. And I think a lot of people maybe don't give credit to Ross that it wasn't a case of him joining a club and applying for a job to be a number one. So going in and being a number one in those sort of circumstances, under any circumstances, is a completely different role from a number two. So for him, we'd have to, it's like taking your centre half and putting him as a striker. You know, it really is. It can be a world apart of difference. And I think maybe looking, looking at it, I think a lot of supporters may have automatically thought, well, it's just, it's one step up, but that step up's a completely different one. So the job itself is miles different. I think it'd have been different for him being off the training ground as much and maybe not leading that and not having the voice there and then the voice in the change room the same way that he would previously. So now it is a world of difference, but I think the way that he'd done it and the way that he's now able to step back to his previous role is fantastic. Because even if Ross doesn't want to be a manager, that backroom staff there, there certainly are two other managers, future managers in the making Absolutely. there, aren't there, with, with Danny and with Joby? Yeah. Absolutely. So I think there's a, there's a lot of great voices in there. I think we're really lucky where we are now. Obviously, Cole Fletcher's just joined. But I think the club's really lucky to have a lot of people behind the scenes and backroom staff that's, that's so strong. I don't think we've had that for a while, possibly. I think it's been a while since we've had so many big personalities and so many high-quality candidates in different roles at the club. I think that's something that over the last 18 months, two years, has been put in place, obviously as part of the strategy for the football inside of things. And I think that's something that's really paid dividends. I think Justin spoke a lot about that last season when things were going well and we were pushing towards win the league and actually doing it. I think he spoke regularly about the fact that this isn't, this isn't a one-man thing, this isn't a... This is, this is a whole club thing. I think the club seems really together right now and it, it's, it's very different to how it's been in the past. Oh, it certainly is. Yeah, I mean, it does help that the business is run properly now, doesn't it, really? I mean, we had a question in from the message board from uh, Yoy Yoy, really, but you owes, you owes you, I suppose that stands for. Why, oh, why, oh, why? Well, maybe it's that, in fact. <laughs> when you say it like that, maybe that's uh, a, an Orient call of the past, isn't it, really? Um, it just says that, was the appointment uh, of Carl Fletcher, a surprising choice, and he wants the, the panel's um, opinions on that. So perhaps if I come to Barry first to my left as I look. Barry, well, I don't think it? anyone would have had his name down in, in the initial, you know, when, when Ross said, I'm going to step down, uh, you know, for being interim because I don't think anybody's name to the forefront, because you get your merry-go-round managers, don't you? If all these names come to the, to the fore, people that have recently lost their job or, or have managed in League Two or the National League, etc., all these names get mentioned. But personally, I would rather have somebody who's a younger manager of something to prove, who's got a good background in a, in a bigger club, but coming up through the ranks. I think he was the youth team manager, then he was the loan manager, etc. But I think it's all about the fit. We've just been talking about the personalities at Lake Orient, how we're a family club, how we've developed a you know, a, a good, strong uh, spine of, of, of personalities and people there. 
and obviously at the top of that was Justin. And you can't, you've got to have the right sort of person coming in who's going to fit the ethos of the club, who's not going to come in with, and, and I think part of the, uh, the remit for the job was you're not allowed to bring in number two, number three with you, it's got to be you. And I think that is far more important that Martin, Nigel, Kent, um, etc., feel they've got the right person right personality, obviously the footballing credentials, obviously the, the loan managers and the, the Eddie Howe connection, etc. But that you've got a person who's on board with like an Orient's way, rather than just, here's another manager who's managed this seven or eight different league clubs, you know, etc. That's my opinion. Charlie? Look, I, I think, you know, as, as I've said, I, I wish Carl all of, the, all of the success and all the luck in the world. And I think... Um, Comes back to the top, you know, um, Martin has spoken publicly that he has done this interview process to, to unearth the new head coach three times. Once it spat out the, uh, Steve Davis, once it spat out my dad, Justin Edinburgh, and obviously the third time around it, it, it spat out Carl Fletcher. It's a process which some will say hasn't worked and it will be a process that some say we've had a lot of success off. Um, I think with Carl, what you've got is a lot of similarities to dad. You've got a young, hungry uh, manager who wants to push himself, um, seems very level-headed, um, don't think he's going to come in and change too much at all. Um, and very similar to Dad, you know, Dad had to adopt the coaching staff that was already there. Um, it wasn't a case of he could bring in who he wanted to. He took the job on the condition of you come in and you adopt the staff that are here. And I think that's why the group have been so successful and I do think Carl will have success is because that grounding is already there. And well, he knew Ross, didn't he? Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. And there's that, there's that togetherness and that is one thing that Dad was massively um, for was, you know, the, the lads being able to have that time where, yes, you're on it and the good times where you're pushing to, to win a league. But he also came and experienced the, the bad times when you know, you're sitting 21st or 22nd, wherever they were in the, in the National League when he took over. And I think that didn't change a great, a great deal. I don't think Cole's going to need to change a great deal, but I do think Cole will be the right, the right man to, to take this group forward and, and propel them up the league. Darren? Yeah, I think surprising choice. Yes, I think it was a surprising choice uh, with Barry on that one. There was a lot of names being banded about and uh, Cole's name came in quite late, didn't it? Then all of a sudden he's got the, he's got the gig. Uh, looking at his record at Plymouth, I was quite actually quite impressed. So I, I like the fact he's had seventy odd league games as well at that level. I think that bode well for us. So overall, um, you've got to give the guy a chance, haven't you? And all Orient fans hopefully will do that. Uh, didn't get off to a great start on Tuesday night, has to be said, but we'll go on to that later. Yeah, yeah. Jack. I think it's also worth remembering that, that that first role for him, that was quite a lot of experience early on, but I think he was 31, 32. I think he retired to do it as well. So again, he was thrust in under I think Peter Risdale as well. So it was, it was a strange time for Plymouth anyway. So that would have been a lot of experience for him. And then he took the time to go, to probably go, you know, I need to step back here. Took a job at Bournemouth, maybe a little bit outside the, um, I think he went to Barnet for a little while, but then to Bournemouth. A little bit outside the limelight, maybe, for a while, for a couple of years. Learn off some great staff around him. Everyone knows how good someone like Eddie Howe is. And then spend four or five years sort of honing his craft. I think that can only be a good thing. He's still a young manager. He's still a young man. But he's still got a vast amount of experience. And then also, I think it's worth us bearing in mind that no one here saw the, the recruitment process up close. No one saw the interviews with him. So... People like Martin Ling and the owners, they're going to spend so much time with him discussing philosophy, discussing how he wants to do things in short term, medium term, long term. 
And that for us right now, it's an unknown quantity. But if someone like Martin Ling, who has done what he's done for us as a player, manager and director of football, says that it's good enough, then it's good enough for me. I mean, as someone still in his 20s, which you are, uh, how important is it this, this younger manager business that's happening now? You're seeing yeah. younger... Uh, they're more relevant to the players they're trying to manage, I, I suppose. Is that How important is relevance, uh, relevance even, uh, to, to the game now? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's also... There's still some fantastic managers that are right at the end or that have maybe... Someone like Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, he was still very relevant going to his, into his 70s. So I think it can work both ways. Um, but I think what's what I really like, as Barry mentioned, I think it's really good that we're getting someone that's maybe not done it, maybe it's not been on that merry-go-round. In, in the Premier League, if a job comes up towards the bottom, you're looking at Mark Hughes, you're looking at Sam Allardyce, it's the same names, the same faces every time. I like that we're going for someone a little bit different. I think he wouldn't have been in my... Like, if, if I had to write out a list of 100 names for that job, he wouldn't have been in it for me. No. Just because I wasn't thinking of him, he wouldn't have come, come up like that. But I would also say that there wasn't five or six names that was exciting me elsewhere either. So I thought it was always going to probably be a left-field appointment. And like I say, it was such a thorough process that I think he is going to be very relevant to him. Him being younger, him played at level that, playing at the level he has, where that was just an right, it, you know, it paid off fantastically for us. Yep, it did indeed. I mean, it's, it's, it's a funny one because the, the names mentioned, Charlie... Sometimes you've got to remember, I think Matt Porter touched on it on one of his tweets about where we are as a football club in the food chain and that some of the yeah. names banded around and the salaries those people would expect yeah. and the fact they want to bring in backroom staff and which would mean people being paid off. It's not realistic, is it? It's not, no. And I think, you know, I, I've been quite vocal in that part as well. You know, you need to be realistic on where we are as a football club. We've just come out of the conference. We're not the Orient that was League One pushing for championship those years ago. And um, look, it would be lovely if you, you you had the funds and the budget to go and bring in a, a top name, but we are a League Two football club that's newly back in the Football League. So look, I think Martin touched on it as well in interviews. I, I still watch a lot of all of the interviews and stuff. And Martin said with obviously the circumstance and how the jobs come up, not many people probably wanted to put their name in the hat because it was, I've, I, I feel biased on it, but impossible shoes to fill. It's a circumstance that I think has happened once before with Lincoln, with uh, Alexander when he passed yeah. away. Um, how, how do you, as a, as a football manager, follow up the success of somebody that's passed away having just won a league and, and taking the team to Wembley in, in the FA Trophy final? It's... I wouldn't fancy doing it. Um, and I think you've got to be a brave man to put your, your, your name in the hat. And we're talking about all of these names and the fact that you mentioned, Jack, Cole probably wasn't on your list. We probably didn't even know that Cole fancied the task, didn't fancy the challenge. And I think you've got to take your hat off to him because he's been prepared to put himself out there. He feels that now's the right time for him to, you know, go at it. He, he's done the, the spell at Plymouth, which, yeah, 70 games of Football League for your first job, having just retired, is good in, in, the, in the hard times that Plymouth were going through. But I think, yeah, nobody would have plucked that name out of, out of the hat because he wouldn't have been in there because I don't think anybody would have been aware at that point that Carl was ready to, to propel and, and go forward. Can I ask, Charlie, that Carl did contact you when he, when he got the job, didn't he? He, he, he contacted my mum, which obviously goes a, a, a long way, and um, I think that says a lot about the man himself. You know, um, to to actually reach out before it was even announced to to the public, he, he you know, he made contact with my mum and just obviously wanted to assure us that 
we're still welcome around the football club and um, nothing changes in in that sort of aspect and listen that's a that's a massive thing for us and I've said from from the moment that we lost dad that I would continue to come over him but the fact that he's um, extended that and made us feel welcome you know, he's even offered if I want to go to the training ground to see the boys, which they, they've been they've been through it all with me, um, as as all of the fans have, as everybody has, you know. And um, no, massive hats off to Cole because that's a class act to, to actually um, to go out your way to to make contact with with my mum. So it yeah. seems like he gets the club, then, doesn't it? He gets the club. He gets what we're about. He gets the the, the ethos. He gets the people and. I think that's why, in the end, he was probably the standout choice, you know. And um, yeah, I can't say it enough. We we really do wish him all of the best in 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 the role. Excellent, excellent. And uh, got off to a, a pretty ropey start, didn't he? Really, and a, and a lot in co- um, common with your dad, because uh, obviously Justin, you know, was gobsmacked at the end of that first. And I think it's fair to say he was. He was. Ex- I think we put it politely. He was extremely disappointed with the response that he got from the players yeah. week one. Uh, and I suspect uh, Carl will be feeling pretty much the same. I think a similar situation. Um, Dad took the job, I think, on the on the Thursday, um, and literally had one day to prepare with the players before the first game. Carl very much I think he's had three hours. He said uh, in his post match um, on the training ground with the players to to roll out what he was looking to do and and put his plan together for the game. And look. Dad ended with a 1-0 defeat at Solio. Um, I don't think he actually realised the task in hand at the time. But listen, it wouldn't have been the, the, the perfect start for Carl that he would have wanted. But I'm sure, you know, come the weekend, we'll, we'll look to bounce back and he'll have a plan to, to execute. Right, well, let's just, uh, Darren, let's just touch on his Plymouth uh, saga the other night. Now, uh, nil 4 or 4-0, should we say. Um, pretty sound beating in the end. And an overall, it was a very poor performance, wasn't it? No, it weren't great. You can't paper over cracks on that one. Um, defensively, we we were pretty poor. Uh, first goal, uh, let's be honest, um, the referee and the linesman absolutely should have seen that. You know, it's doing the rounds on social media as a, like a comedy show that the referee and the linesman have missed it. Um, that said, I thought, I thought Dan Hamp could have got closer to his man. Yeah. So uh, that was preventable, if you like, in that respect. Second goal, uh, we haven't recovered from the first. Uh, and again, it was one of those, uh, very similar to a goal we conceded at home. Forgive me, I can't remember it was against, but it just went through the whole lot. I think it was Paul Val. Mm-hmm. Um, or it just went, or it might be Swindon, but forgive me. But again, it just, you know, no one come to clear it. And it was two, three opportunities. Uh, third goal, I can't remember, Andy. By that time, I think my uh, desire for the... Uh, you don't want to remember it. By then. You don't want to remember it. Uh, it wasn't great, no. The f- and, then, and then the fourth was, was a real another comedy. It went off of um, Joe Widdersome's back. Yeah. Uh, second half, um, they moved uh, Joe Widdersome over a bit to give some Mar- Marvin a bit of support over on that side, which... Uh, uh, I actually could quite like this Marvin at right back, if I'm honest, and I'm not going to sort of let one poor performance... Because it was as good as we were against Grimsby, one to eleven. We were poor, unfortunately, on Tuesday night, one to eleven. Yeah, I mean, and look, let's. We've all seen the goals, and as I say, defensively, the three afterwards were, were not good. No, um, no. But the first goal, and and we've all played at various levels, be it amateur on a Sunday or a Saturday, through to a pro like Jack here. Um, so how. You know how damaging it is when when you lose confidence when a goal goes against you like that. You look towards the referee, who's not seen it or whatever, 
The lion-o hasn't seen it. You're thrown, aren't you, completely. You're frustrated. You've lost your plot a little bit for a moment or two. And unfortunately for us, the other two goals came very quickly in succession after that. They, they did, but um, I don't want to be too critical of the players here because we've, we've come off the back of a good run here. And it, it, whilst it was a poor performance and it was a poor result, uh, I, I felt the, the, um, the players didn't let their heads drop, they carried on working, and that, that gave them a little bit of credit for that. Yeah, but the damage was done in the first half, and, and well, I think we drew the second half 0-0, didn't we? Well, I mean, Barry, it's, it was, it was, I mean, I, I, I honestly think the players lost the plot a little bit when that goal was given, and I think that... That vital few minutes thereafter, we lost our shape, I we think lost our way. If that had been the second or third goal, you, obviously you, you could say, well, okay, we lost 4-0, that was a silly goal to deny. Yeah. It, was, well, it was ridiculous, wasn't it? I mean, since 86, I haven't seen one as, as blatant as that. It was unbelievable. But yes, I mean, I've, we've all touched and we've all played at various levels. Um, psychologically, when something like that has happened to you, um, you're all over the place. Look, well, I certainly used to be when some decision, appalling decision, had gone against you. You were thinking about that for five, ten minutes. Well, well, this is unjust, you know. And yes, I know we all should do this and should do that. We're all human beings, and I think that the second and third goals, we were really unsettled after what had happened for the first goal. And it's been no way excusing it because they're all professional athletes. But you do wonder if that first goal hadn't gone in the manner it did, whether it had been a very different match. And first half was poor. Second half. We would have better seen, but the game was lost, obviously, hit the bar at the post. But, yeah, the game's gone. But there was this reaction in the second half, which I was pleased with, uh, albeit the Plymouth, obviously, was just trying to game management, as they call it nowadays. But I think had that first goal not gone in a manner it had gone in, I think it would have been a totally different story. But, it, Charlie, it's the, the first goal's the all-important goal, isn't it? It is. And, and to concede it so early uh, in the manner that it, it's gone in, you know, it... It does frazzle the players. It, it can't not when something so blatant as that uh, goes against you. It's You've only got a... I, I think it was Dan Happy's man. I remember watching the, the replay back. He looks at the ref before the ball then falls to, to the, the eventual goal scorer. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it just... For me personally... It does. It's, of course, it's going to set you back. It's going to set you back. Um, all that's been said before in the change room is going to go out the window because people are going to become erratic for the next five minutes and not going to be able to shake that out of their minds. And look, I, I, we'll, we'll get onto it, I'm sure. But um, I'm sure that the the referee assessor had a, a, a long chat with the the officials after the game, and uh, I'm sure Carl probably said a few words in in the. Uh, <laughs> In the refs' change room afterwards as well, but um, no, you can't you can't accept that and um, expect to just brush it under the carpet and move forward and, and execute your game plan as as you would have done. Yeah, but you, I mean the thing is, take the goal aside. I mean, obviously they're going to look at that goal and criticise their own players when they're watching the replay. They'll they'll freeze it and they'll say, "Look, you're not there. You're not there. You're not mm. there." They'll, they'll look at the goal they've conceded. And, and you know, critique the players who were all, all at sea. Did, if we're honest, we're all out of position, and they played, didn't play to the whistle, etc., etc. You can you can criticise that, though. But the actual act of giving a goal like that is so psychologically damaging, isn't it? it to, to be honest with you, I, I, I do understand that, and I agree with the comments that everyone's making about the players. Are, are sort of obviously psychologically straight away that, that they are, they're not switched on for a few minutes, and, and then the second goal I think came something like three minutes later. But the fact of the matter is, the guy cheated, <laughs> you know, and, and what can you do? The guy punched it. And, and you know, it, was, it wasn't even a little bit clever. It, it, was, it was, yeah, 
Well, I'm I mean, lost for words, Andy, and I'm never lost for words. This is where we're trying to guide this conversation to cheating in football. Now, whether that's trip falling over in the box to try and get a penalty or whatever, and let's be fair, we've had players at our club who have, you know, let's be fair, been a bit over-theatrical over the last few years in the penalty box, and I don't like to see that myself. I, I don't think there's any room for it. It is cheating, Jack, but you were speaking to me off, Mike, before we went on air, and you said, well, I've probably done the same thing when I was playing. I didn't realise you was going to mention that, to be fair, Andy. <laughs> <coughs> I'm a stitch-up merchant, mate. You should know that. Now. No, I think um, as a fan, I hate it. I hate to see it. Obviously, no one likes to see it unless it's for your team. Well, even then, a lot of people don't like to see it. No. But the point I was making then is, uh, as a player, to be honest, I, I, I would have done the same thing, I think. Um, I, I know it's, not the, it's probably not the polite thing to say and it's maybe not the, the Twitter-friendly after-match comment to say, but I think I would have. I think the, the player as well, Zach Rodden, he's only a young lad too. I'm not sort of I'm not excusing him for that reason, but if you look at him in the celebration, he sort of looks around. I don't think he expects. I think he thinks the referee's going to get him out of jail. So I think he the way he looks to the left and to the right of him, I think he's looking there thinking you're obviously going to blow for that. I've you know, I've caught it. Well, as they rush away to celebrate, if you if you watch the, the the play through, the other forward actually stops, turns back, looks towards exactly. The yeah, he, they do and, look embarrassed, and, and he's looking at the referee thinking, well, oh, it's given, and then they go and celebrate. But you know, Absolutely. you see, I mean, it's it's embarrassing. And, and, and the argument then comes in about VAR. Because if VAR was there, even at this level, it wouldn't have been given, would it? Well, personally, I'm a fan of VAR. Let me say that straight away. Because when you've travelled, as we have, 224 of us for five hours, you've got down there and your team's 1-0 down after five minutes and they shouldn't be, OK? Mm. Because someone's done that, yeah? What's the difference? Why why do Liverpool get it? Why do Man U get it? Why do Man City get it? Why is it not in League Two? Why is it not in the Championship? Why is it? Barry, I agree, it's money. But if the technology's there, then it should be for every professional player who's earning a living at the game. It shouldn't just be for for the top echelons because that will just make the game devalued over time. Is it not though over sanitising the 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 game itself, Barry? In that you know. Human error was always a great element of football. If you know what? I'm not going to. I'm going to be very boring. I mean, I'm really, really on the fence of VAR. I really am. Sometimes I look at it. No, sorry. I'll, well, I'll, 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 I'll show you why, if you like. Sometimes I look at it and think, well, yeah, that's the correct decision. And other times I think, well, that's pedantic to the to the nth degree. But I suppose you can only do it if he's offside by a millimetre. You can't have that yeah, but grey area, can you? But sometimes it does spoil. I mean, look at look what we're talking about now. Okay, so a ball brushes someone's knuckle in the Premier League. And a goal's ruled out, okay? A, a guy beats the ball down with like a basketball and a goal stands. And that is the, you know, the polar opposite of what you've got in the Premier League and in League Two. And it is the same game with the same laws, but they're being applied differently because of technology. That's well, what we're talking about, isn't it? have laws, Barry, but the rules are differently. We've got a, a national game with different sets of rules because of... Well, of the, the laws are different, are they? No, the laws are the laws, but the rules are... I mean, you mean how they've been applied? Yeah, I mean... We, we got, because of technology? We've got, for the first time in my knowledge, I mean the same game with different different outcomes. Well, that's what I just said. You've got one person brushing a knuckle and getting, getting pulled up on it and another one who's blatantly handballing it and who's not getting pulled up. So in that respect, you're totally right. Right. Charlie, is it just purely down to the fact that at the top level it's millions of pounds of difference and that's why they've got it? No, I, I agree with Darren that, like, obviously, 
it doesn't matter what industry you're in. If there's if there's <coughs> laws and, and rules in place, it needs to be throughout and needs to be consistent. Um, I don't think for one second you could because then it comes a di bit of discrimination to a, to a degree because you play at that level. Oh, you don't get VAR, and because you play at that level, you get it. Totally, totally incorrect, and they need to address. Uh, listen. They've only rolled it out this season, right? And it's a fantastic bit of kit. It really, really is. And I know you get people not really being able to celebrate a goal properly anymore because they don't know whether it's going to be given or not because then the away fans are going to give it to you yeah. if it isn't given and so on and so on. But I think we, we do need to give it time to obviously um, roll out. I do think eventually they will get to a point, hopefully, depending on cost and I know it's an expense, that we will have it across all leagues. But you can't condone a player literally hitting the ball over like a volleyball net the other night and that not being disallowed and then, like say, something as minuscule as, as a brush of knuckles in the Premier League. But that's what it's there for. And... It is, it's brilliant because the Premier League is the most watched league in the world, right? And mm. ultimately, they're, they're doing it to better the game and to make it a fairer game. But it's not fair when it's not spread out across all leagues, I don't think. They need to get it out quick. Sort of a halfway house, I thought, with, you know, every game's filmed now. And the, and the fourth official, I always say, they sit there literally scratching their backsides and, and, and the only job they get, and they can't even do that properly half the time, is to put the numbers up of how many minutes are left. Yeah. Um, they can't even work the board, half of them. But, I mean, seriously, you know, they're sitting there. That, it wouldn't cost a lot to have a monitor no. and to watch a replay for the fourth official at any level mm. to say... The referee could quickly just say, come and have a look at that, Joe, yeah. and, and, and he'd come back with, in that case, handball. Now, he doesn't need the full VAR. What it needs, to my mind, is to employ the fourth officials properly and, and to make them the fourth referee, if you like, the second referee. That, that should be their job. The referee can confer with them at any time. Was that an elbow off the ball? You know, it may well be, he rewinds the tape and sees that there was an elbow off the ball on a player, etc. You know, I, I just don't agree with this. VAR, as itself, to me, Darren, it's just sanitising the game beyond belief. Let me correct myself slightly. When I say I'm in for or favour of VAR, what I'm in favour of is the correct decision being made. So, whether it's VAR, whether it's a fourth official, yeah, and I get the VAR not working quite rightly at the moment because it's new and it's new technology. What I'm more fed up with, I'm more fed up with seeing the games on a Sunday when I watch on the Premier League where they're getting the decisions right and I'm and a lot of other people are paying out a lot of money to go and watch a, a, a game. They're, 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 they can't get it right. And that's, that's my gripe with it more than, than anything. And the players are being paid. And in some respects, it probably it counts more at the lower levels because of the, it's jobs on the line stuff. Yeah. They're not making huge salaries, these lads. So I just feel that, that overall, Andy, if, if you're going to have something, it's got to be consistent. And it's got to be consistent throughout. Like, you know, me and Charlie are in the same industry, actually. So we could talk about legislation for to, all night. So, uh, again, probably that's why we're kindred spirits on this one. And, and that's what we haven't got. We haven't got a level playing field. And, and I don't mind losing, but the way we lost was avoidable. That I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I said, I've always said I can take a defeat. I can't uh, stomach cheating, you know. But the, the technology, Jack, we, we, we looked, first of all, at the goal line technology, following really, obviously, Lampard's go disallow yep. goal uh, in the World Cup, which obviously is a, is, a, is a prime example. You get the goal line cameras, that makes sense to me. 
And uh, that's quite simple for the fourth yep. official again to monitor on a replay at any level, right down into the conference, etc. You know, even probably the Ryman could probably afford a couple of video cameras. Uh, yep. uh, and, you know, um, so that's sort of halfway house between the high tech stuff they're doing now, which is you know, it was he an inch offside? And you think, oh, for God's sakes, you know. I mean, it's it's getting too anal for me. I mean, it, you know, human error is part of the game to a point. And sometimes that goes for you and sometimes it goes against you. It certainly went against us the other night. But goal line technology is a different thing. I mean, that, I'm all for that. How, you, how do you feel about that one? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely. I mean, I wouldn't say, I'd say in regards to VAR and the technology side of things in general, I've always been sort of against it. I think because it was just so obvious that it'd get rolled out the wrong way to start with. I think we mentioned before for goal line technology, for VR, for anything like that, I think the it has to be taken into account, as mentioned before, the jobs are on the line going down. But then also for the fan side of things, as an Orient fan, a goal that's going to stop you from going up or relegating you, more often than not, if, if it's going to be something like that for us, it means exactly the same to us as it does for a Man City fan winning the league. But the money aspect and the importance aspect for the FA and for governing bodies and for the sponsors and for TV is so much more important at those ends for them. Or they think it's so much more important for them that that's why going down, it seems to be a lot less important. They'll think that, you know, Orient versus Crew Alexandra is not going to have such big ramifications. But for 5,000 people in East London, it is. And I think that, that sort of shows shows where that's at. I'm not against it. and The goal line side of things, I'm not against it, for, but it'd have to be everywhere. And there's no reason for it not to be as well. This this kit, We're not talking about things that are going to cost 300 grand a pop. Professional clubs, you know, conference up clubs, they can afford this sort of thing. And also, in regards to technology, it's 2019. We've, we've come far enough to have something like that. We're not sitting around twiddling our thumbs waiting for good technology to come around. So it is there. It's just, again, VAR, goal line technology, anything like that, they're good ideas, but they have to be rolled out properly first time, otherwise it loses people. Before VR, VAR and any introductions like that happen, people tend to be really for them. So before VAR came in, everyone seemed to be really pro, I'd say 80-20 for people that was really looking forward to it coming in. And then since it's come in, it's probably gone the other way. I'd say it's 20% of people enjoying it and 8% of people that are saying it's not working yet. Mm. Now, let's just touch on you, Jack, because um, a few people said, who's, who's Jack Pridmore? They said, That's rude, isn't it? Board. Yeah, it was rude. I thought, who? who? Uh, no, Jack, I mean, looking at your record here, I mean, at 16, you were you were um, uh, chief, well, head coach, weren't you, really? Or, yeah, in the uh, Essex Senior League and the Ryman, Ryman League. Yeah, so you well, the youngest in the country at one point, weren't you? Yeah, so um, there, was, there was, like, quite a lot of strange press about it is probably the best way to say so I was coaching in I was coaching and playing I was coaching abroad during the summers and then uh, sorry playing abroad during the summers and then coaching here semi-professionally in the winters um, so it, it kept getting things like I got absolutely stitched up by the Daily Mirror I remember they did a like piece on it so I remember the next day I'd not that long left school I was 16 I remember texting all my mates and saying I'm going to be in the Daily Mirror tomorrow it's going to be amazing um, and then because I had terrible 30 pound NHS glasses which, which weren't great, they decided to basically make Harry Potter references throughout the entire thing. So I'd text everyone I knew, all the girls at school I fancied, everyone, just to let them know, like, read the Daily Mirror tomorrow, I'm going to be, like, a big part of it. And then they did a mock-up of me as Harry Potter. It was ridiculous. Um, but no, it was, just, it was a strange time, so it would... It would yeah, it was, it was great. I loved it. Um, playing, playing then, coming back here to coach when I could was, was brilliant. I took my B licence, my UEFA B licence when I was 17. Uh, so I sort of tend, I, I kind of did it all, all early, I suppose, really now. And then now I'm, I'm not involved in football at all. Do you tend to overanalyze when you're watching a match? Um, yes, and not when I'm watching Orient. 
I really struggle to analyse Orient. Really, really struggle to. It's so it's too emotive for me. So I just watch Orient purely as a fan, um, and I, I don't really pay attention to it in the same way. When I'm watching other levels of football, yeah, I'm I'm super analytical with it. I'm probably more negative than anything. I'd say maybe that is the Orient in me, but I tend to be really negative with it. So I tend to not really rate players as highly as people tend to and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm trying to be a bit more realistic, yeah, painfully strange, realistic. Strange moment, because you ended up playing uh, professionally in uh, where, Finland, Norway, Belgium? Yeah, yeah, so I was, yeah, no, so it was great. It was at a time, I'd say just before English players started going abroad as well. Um, you know, I'm going to say trendsetter out loud. Oh. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was a little bit before then, players weren't really doing it. So for me, the way I was looking at it was, I wasn't going to play in the Premier League. So I was thinking to myself, I'd have been absolutely delighted for half a season at Rochdale. So it just, that didn't seem like that wanting to be the thing that I was talking about in pubs in 50 years' time. So it seemed like when the opportunity to go abroad came up, it, it seemed like a really, you know, great one. I'm, I'm super, super, super pleased that I did. Uh, it was, like I say, it was at a time before people was really doing it that common. So it was, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. There was also a time, one of my favourite ones was, there was a time when Stuart Pearce was the England Under-21s manager. He's manager for ages, wasn't he? And he advised his scouts that anyone that was playing professionally in Europe and was eligible, we'd scout them. So the club I was playing for at the time got a letter to say that the England 21 side were requesting tickets. And I can't tell you how far off that standard I was, <laughs> but it basically, it basically meant that for since then, I tell everyone that I was scouted for the England 21s. At least you're honest. You've also been uh, on, a, on a reality show. Uh, you were quite open about it, the boot camp. That was uh, something that's obviously close to your heart. And um... Yeah, absolutely. So my last few seasons playing football was really, was really dictated by the fact that my mental health had just deteriorated so much. So my last season, um, OCD, depression, anxiety, everything was just so, it was crippling me so much. It was completely on top of me. So it came out and it's, it was basically a rehab type uh, way of getting a particular type of CBT cognitive behavioral therapy and yeah it's although the period before that playing football people would probably say was the best period of my life actually getting getting healthy was was miles miles better i wouldn't have traded it for anything i pretty much stopped playing football to get healthy and it was definitely the best option so you've got a, a book that's uh, shortly going to come out, I think, isn't it? In uh, December, is it? That's it, yeah. First yeah. of December. Life on the Other Side. That's it. Big title. <laughs> I've got to live up to it. Um, so the, the reason for the title is basically it's a book aimed at people that have just first got their mental health diagnosis. So in general, it's going to be sort of the 15 to 25s reading it. But then there's another book with it, which is for the people that are around the 15 to 25 year olds. So I refer to them as supporters. I basically mean loved ones. So there's two books. So you read the first half of the book and it just gives you practical advice on how to seek help, what it's like telling your mates, how to get help at uni, at work, and so on. Even things like dating, which I, I really shouldn't give advice on. <laughs> and then there's a whole other side, a whole other book, which is for the supporters. And it's how to support them during those things, how to help them when they're having therapy, how to help them even down to things like if they get sectioned. Um, so yeah, it's two books in one, the aim being you read your side, then you give the other side to your loved ones and they read your side and vice versa. It's, it's to facilitate conversation, hopefully. Do you think, just touching on it briefly, the mental health issues, obviously Martin Ling's been very open about his, uh, yes. his issues. And it does seem very prevalent in, in sport and in football in, in, in particular, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's such a, it was such a closed industry in an emotional sense. So I remember having, I remember the, one of the first times I had disclosed my, my issues, the manager at the time mentioned live on radio later on for a game that I missed because of mental health problems. 
he mentioned about how he's mentally weak was the words that he used. And I think that was just, to be honest, I don't even begrudge him for it now because he's learned since then. You know, yeah. you kind of, people don't know until they know, do they? And yeah, see, I think football, football's been a little bit behind on it. I think football's making a lot of noises right now and that's good, it's such a big thing. But the important thing is putting things in place. I think that's the next step. The next step is putting actual procedures in place to help players when it, when it comes up. I think um, the PFA are making big differences on it. FIFA Pro did, in my time as well, they're starting to move forward with that, but more, more can always be done. I think the thing is, Jack, is that it'd be good if the FA employed people like yourself to go around to the clubs and speak to players that maybe have a problem or two and uh, confide in you. So they do They do have people that go around doing things like this. I know Scott Davies, if you remember the old, um, old shot on Reading midfielder, he goes around and talks about gambling because he's had, he's had issues with addiction himself. And it, that's great. The problem is what happens after that. So after they've had the motivation, there needs to be something else. There need to be things in place for them to do a next step. Who do I speak to next? How can people help me? How can my clubs help me? Um, so I think that's the key. We do, I hear a lot of people saying about how it's time to talk. It's good to talk. It's good to open up. And that's great. But motivation's no good unless there's something that comes after it, unless there's a practical side of it afterwards. So yeah, things like that would be great from the FA. That's what I'm aiming for with the book is that it's not just a motivator. It's supposed to make people go out and do things afterwards. The FA could definitely help. Football clubs are helping and they're doing a lot of things privately. I think maybe more of them should be talking a little bit openly about it. Martin Ling's probably the person that's speaking most about it in the country right now. He's done a fantastic job of it. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier, to, earlier he's, he's hopefully going to be writing a foreword for the book, which I'm really looking forward to. But it's, there's, there's all, there can always be more that can be done. Thanks very much. Well, that's, we had last week in the studio, we had Tony Kelly, who was talking about his addiction with gambling. He left us with a book, which he signed, uh, Red Card. And uh, what we do with that, we're going to put it up on the, um, on the Twitter and on our Facebook page during this week. And if you'd like to make a bid for the book, we're going to split the proceeds between Tony's uh, Red Card charity and uh, with the JE3 um, charity, which we'll move on to swiftly in a moment. Darren? Yeah, I'll make an opening bid of a uh, hundred quid for that book, Andy. Oh, could well be your book, I think. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a very good bid. Okay, so Darren... Barrows has, has bid £100 for the signed copy of the Tony, Tony Kelly's uh, red card book, and that will be split between the two uh, charities, as we said. So if you can better that bid, we'll uh, put something up on the internet uh, in the next few days, and uh, we'll let you know next week uh, whether or not Darren was uh, successful. But talking of JE3, uh, what's going on there? Plenty, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's exciting times. Um, obviously, it's still only sort of four, coming up five months down the line since we've actually lost that. So the, the, the legway that we've made in such a short space of time is, is, is truly um, amazing. Everybody's been so willing to help and um, get on board with, with what we're looking to achieve. Um, I was speaking um, last week at um, Anglia Ruskin University in Essex um, with... Um, Tom Keeble, who was actually Dad's heart consultant when he fell ill um, at the Essex Cardiothoracic Centre. And him uh, and a, a, an amazing guy, I think I mentioned when I was on here last time, Bill Toff, they rolling out a, a programme called HeartWise across all schools in Essex um, to teach CPR and, and how to use defibrillators. And 
I think that's only going to be beneficial to, to the county um, and hopefully we'll see a, a turn of events in, in survival rates from cardiac arrest uh, in years to come. But a lot of my efforts and my family's efforts have been focusing on the, uh, the JE3 uh, gala dinner, which is on the, uh, the 14th of December. There's still a few tickets remaining for that, which you can... Um, you can get on our social media platforms. There's a, a link. So at JE3 Foundation on, on Twitter and Instagram will uh, take you through to the Eventbrite link where you can actually purchase tickets for the event. Um, but yeah, a lot of, lot of planning's going into it and uh, we're, we're excited by it. Can I just ask Charlie, where is the event? Where is the dinner? So the, we wanted to keep it local. Dad was Essex through and through, so it's going to be held at the uh, the Willows um, in Hainal. Um, don't know whether you, you, you're familiar with the, the venue. It's absolutely amazing. It's a truly stunning venue. And, um, you know, we've got some really exciting stuff planned for the night. And... Um, we just hope it's not just a success in terms of fundraising, but we want to make sure everything that we're doing, we're keeping Dad at the forefront. And he, he would have been 50 in December. So we've got a lot of stuff planned for that day on the 14th. We're, we're in discussions with, with the club, with the PFA, with the LMA and the Football League to try and make it like a, a JE3 Foundation day on the 14th. We've got Bradford at home. Ideas are maybe getting the players to warm up in shirts. Happy birthday, Gaffer, with the, the foundation on it. You might have seen Joby on, on Sky Sports in the week. He's been wearing our new JE3 uh, Foundation badges, which are in production at the moment. We've had a lot of people um, reaching out, asking where they can purchase them from. We're going to look to get them in the stadium and, and other venues as well where, where people will be able to make a donation and, and wear a, a badge with pride and just keep Dad's legacy going. And um, all, of the, all of the money that's raised is going to go a long way to helping us change people's lives and, and make sure that people don't have to endure what we, me and my family have, have, have endured, but also, you know, the football community. It's, it's been a, a really, a really tough time. Sure, there's still plenty of tough times ahead, but um, we're looking to do a lot of positive stuff with, with the foundation. Right, well, one question did come through on the message board just quickly, because we're running down the clock now. G Shaw, is there going to be a charity match at Brisbane Road? There is talks of it at the moment. Um, a lot of positive stuff um, in the pipeline. There's been talks of maybe a, a Spurs legend side, maybe playing um, Martin Ling's legend side of what that will look like. I don't know. Um, very early, very early stages, but there has been a lot of uh, talk of um, a charity uh, match to, to raise money for the foundation. So. Watch this space would would be my uh, would be my suggestion, and hopefully uh, when I'm back on here next, we'll maybe have a bit more detail on that for you. Right. Well, I've got time to uh, wrap it up here. I'm afraid tonight with uh, Carlisle on the horizon on uh, Saturday. Barry, what's the yeah, score right, going to be? Yeah. What's the score going to be? Score going to be. We're going to win two 0 Charlie, I'm going to go for two one Orient. Darren, three one Orient. Two one Orient. Two one, and I'm going to go for two nil. Which uh, I've got how many seconds have I got left? 30. I've got 30 seconds left to kill. Well, I will read something that uh, YOYOY sent us earlier, and he just simply said, Charlie, your dad would have been very proud of you. And I think, on behalf of everybody here, and I think everybody listening, I hope it's been some form of therapy for you, what you're going through uh, with these uh, charity events. But you, you are, are astounding what you've done. I think we can all uh, agree on that. Yeah, I certainly, I've, I've not met Jack and Charlie before, and, and you know, I'm, I'm actually quite overwhelmed by what a great pair of young guys they are. So they should be very, very proud of themselves.